We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk some Darvin Ham. Been looking forward to this one. D. Darvin had one of the most unusual first years as a head coach that I can remember from any coach in terms of the circumstances he was walking into. I'll always remember last year's media day and how subdued it was, right? It was something, a situation where, you know, both sides, I think, kind of knew there need to be a, a parting of ways. And then there's this new guy that it's sort of like, you know, you ever walk into a room where two people are having an argument and, you know, there's there's something that's already there in, in that room. And I thought Darvin did a wonderful job of managing that whole dynamic, which is a place where the season could have really gone sideways before it even began. When it did begin, we had a mix of a tough schedule. Both Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant have the same injury and are out. We are floundering to a 2-10 and ten start. You know, Matt Ryan is getting rotation minutes. Uh, the lineup is half guards, right? And being able to keep kind of the morale throughout all of that, I thought was very important. And the team can continued to fight, right, and, and scratch and claw progressively throughout the season, which obviously culminated in, in the playoff run. And I thought Darwin had a big hand in that. I also think it's hard to judge a coach when – his hand is kind of forced. And so I think this year, D, is going to be a year where we will learn a lot about who Darvin is and what he stands for, because he has a lot of different options, as we, we've talked about on recent pods. And so what did you see from Darvin's rookie season as a head coach that you think plays into what we're about to see this year? Well, it's interesting because I do think that we're going to learn more, but that's because we learn more about a coach every single year. Sure. Right. Like even the guys who have been at it for a fair amount of time, I think we continue to learn little nuggets about what their approach will be or how they may respond to a situation. I agree with you that Darwin kept the team in the roller coaster cart. Yes. <laughs> and he did an excellent job, I think, along with the leadership that LeBron provided and that AD provided and I think the general personality of a lot of the players oh, yeah. on the team, which was like a very work centric, like, let's get after it group. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of quit in those guys. Um, 
bunch of resolve. And I thought that all of that created this great mix, this great elixir for them to continue to battle through. And Darwin's approach, I think, was central in that as a head coach. I've always said, Mike, that there's two parts of being a head coach, right? There is the there is the generating and maintaining buy-in, which I think is actually like the more important part of stuff. And then there is the X's and O's and tactical stuff, which is right next up to that. But I've always said that if you cannot generate and maintain buy-in, your X's and O's actually do not matter yeah, they to won't the degree be running that whatever they typically scheme would. You came up with, they won't be running it. Right. Or they'll run it, but not as well and with not as much detail That's and right. with not as much vigor, and you will not experience the success that you otherwise would. Mm-hmm. This is the push and pull, I think, of Darwin. There were some tactical things last season that his hand was forced a little bit, but he also showed a tendency to lean in that direction anyway, in terms of playing smaller or solving problems with offense um, instead of with defense. And I think that as you give Darwin better players, and this is where I'm interested to to hear your perspective, Mike, that when you give Darwin better two-way players, I think there's going to be a natural tendency for him to find the right balance in things a little bit more. In terms of size, which this group has, in terms of length and in terms of defensive ability, I think that there is more of that across this roster than there was even with the roster that ended last season with a loss in the conference finals. I'm intrigued by the tools that Darwin has to work with and how Darwin has typically been able to communicate and get players to sort of run through the wall for him and and how that can coalesce with this specific group. And that's sort of what I'm looking forward to from Darwin. I don't think I really answered Pete's question about what's going to carry forward, but I do think that there is, he has a lot to work with and and I'm intrigued by his particular style with this particular group. Yeah, but Darius, that's part of the beauty of this podcast is that Pete will kind of throw out the idea and then you and I will say whatever we want to say and then he'll answer his own question, you know, (laughs) right right after it. (laughs) And is that what the, happens? That's not what I'm work. going for. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's it's not you. That's our fault. That's because we have something that we want to say about it. Yeah, and then you're like, OK, well, exactly. here's exactly. Yes. Yeah. It, it, here's what I here's what I actually also. And then you kind of steer it back and then it works. And then we play off that and boom. And there and there's your podcast. Um, <laughs> I I want to touch on something that you both said. But Darius, the way that you define sort of these two different characteristics of the coach, the one that I include in the buy in is basically if you're cool or not. And that's like if you can get people to follow you and to be able to get NBA players uh, who are, first of all, generally cool uh, relative to the general public, um, but then also just have a lot of force of personality and have just have a lot going for them and have had to do a lot to get to this stage. It does take a very particularly charismatic presence and. Darwin scores high on that scale. Uh, he he just does. He's, so he's not a guy that I worry about in year two suffering some sort of setback um, of that leadership or of that cool factor or of that uh, ability to get players to kind of buy into to what he's selling. I, I often, since I was taking shots at Sacramento and I, I said something specifically about Mike Brown, like I Mike, Mike Brown may have evolved at this point. So I kind of want to leave that that open, but that was a, a problem I saw um, in that first stint that he had with the Lakers in mm-hmm. connecting with the players and kind of getting that buy-in uh, and from a personality standpoint. 
Whereas you think about a guy like Eric Spolstra or Steve Kerr that just clearly has that um, as part of who they are. And then the X's and O's also happen to be there. And that's how you get coaches that stay in one place for 10 years. Like bo- it's both are eventually required. Um, Phil Jackson, of course, is a good example of this. Popovich, another example of this. Um, and and like so where does Darvin fit on that scale? We really won't know for sure for a couple of more years. But this year, what I'm going to be more curious about is that X and O part of it. Because now that he's he knows what his team is, he knows what the team did well last year. He knows his personnel a lot better. And when I think he was in the room, I know that he was in the room with Rob Palenka when they were making some of these decisions about who else was coming into the roster. And Pete, in theory, that would that would fit part of what he's looking to do with the roster. So without answering the question as to how that's going to play out, I, I just think that we it's great to have the answer to the first part of the question about who that who that coach is what his personality is like what kind of buy-in can he get and i think this is kind of like a proof of concept year for him in terms of the x's and o's oh i think that's spot on and i think that he did a an underrated job x's and o's wise last year in that it was such a an odd roster to start the season last year that darius and i had a conversation uh, after the pod the other day where we talked about like he had to build a hammer to bash his way into the paint you know, and everything about what that roster could be was focused on gravity toward the rim. And so when the defense knows what you're going to do and <laughs> that you're only really good in one direction, that can actually be very challenging is, you know, in the NFL, if you're a running team and the team starts having eight men in the box, right? That's something that that can be challenging, that extra guy. And I thought Darvin navigated that really well in the form of we had all these pick and roll variations, like whether it was player combinations, but also like places on the court. He started moving a lot of his ball screens down to the coach's hash mark. Um, And, you know, that's where the guard would kind of start that and creating this big old gap between the ball handler and then the next player over in the opposite slot who would, you know, slide over to the wing and just figuring out ways to create space when, the personnel did not naturally make that happen. I thought he, he did an excellent job of that. And I think he's an underrated X's and O's coach. To me, there are three pieces. There's the leadership cool factor that you were talking about, Mike, the X's and O's, and then the lineups. For me, I was very happy with the first two. The third one is one of the questions for me. I have some grace on this though, D, in, in the respect that I think a lot of the lineup decisions that he made, remember how he'd be driving everyone crazy with the three guard lineups? Yeah, I think he was really trying to get spacing, enough spacing on the floor for the offense to be able to function. And he had to make a choice in terms of like, do I go super small and improve spacing or do I go bigger and just try to like try to win that way and, you know, get defensive rebounds. Right. Like because he was every time he would go toward that spacing option, he would give up something in terms of size and physicality, obviously, right? This year, I don't think his hand is forced in that particular way. And so I'm optimistic on the lineup front. Um, Christian Wood, I think, plays a factor into this. And so, yeah, that's something that I, that idea of lineups, leadership, and then uh, X's and O's, I think he's got a very good chance of checking all three boxes. Yeah, the distinction you make between X's and O's in, in lineup stuff is a good one, and it's an interesting one. I also thought the Lakers felt to me, now I haven't dove into all of the numbers around this, but they felt to me like an organized team coming out of timeouts as yes. well. Yeah. And that they ran good stuff on baseline out of bounds and sideline out of bounds in order to create good opportunities 
the playing towards size question is something that I'm interested in just because to me, it was a point that I made earlier that still stands out to me as something that I don't really have a good answer for yet with Darwin. And it's like, how do you approach your problems? And you mentioned spacing and spacing is certainly important. A lot of times though, Mike, some of the spacing solutions that Darwin was going to wasn't actually being solved by guys who effectively spaced the floor. They were comfortable standing out behind the three point Mm -hmm. arc, but like for a long stretch of the season, you couldn't tell me that Patrick Beverly was more mm-hmm. prone to make a three-pointer than Wenyan Gabriel was from outside the arc. Mm-hmm. Like that was just the nature of things. And Pat Bev certainly had more history in terms of being able to make that shot before an extended stretch of the season. That's actually not what was happening. There were times where I where it felt like the personnel groupings or the lineup solutions didn't always necessarily align with what the data was saying was was actually successful. And this is why I go back to the fact that the way that this roster was built now, I've been doing these training camp previews and I just put up a post at Lakers.com that is showing the guards and wings. And Last season, the way that the season started, Mike, there was like how many guys were 6'5 and under, 6'4 and under, right? It was Russ, it was Pat Bev, it, it, like it was Dennis. Bonnie, Kendrick Nunn. There were a lot of those guys. This season, it's Gabe Vincent. And then suddenly it's Austin Reeves and Max Christie and even Jalen Hood Shafino, who is a bigger guard as a point guard, D'Angelo Russell. Even D'Lo's got, yeah, he's got like a 6'10 wingspan, right? D'Lo, and then suddenly it's like Cam Reddish and Torian Prince. And then it's like Vanderbilt and Rui and LeBron and Wood and Jackson Hayes and AD. And you're like, where are the small players on this roster? And there aren't any, really. It's, it's really just Vincent. And and so the ability to throw out more lineups, Mike, that have positional size, I too am encouraged by Darvin's ham not being forced from a personnel standpoint and looking for player archetype solutions within smaller players in order to solve the problems. And that's why I'm like, okay, you've got not a stacked deck, but you've got a better set of cards here that are in your hand. So let's go to break here, Mike. And when we come back, I kind of want to hear your thoughts about this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The only stat I think that we even need to understand what the difficulty of Darwin's job last year was the lineups and the amount of starting lineups that he either had to use or, you know, had to had is you could take in a couple of different ways had would be the start of the season with the roster. And then later in the season was more when he actually did have a couple of better options uh, And this. The example of this would be like you can go to Rui. Uh, off the bench or at the point when he could start Austin when he wasn't starting like those are good options to have but nonetheless still a lot of change and so when I was making my comments earlier about Darwin having to show what his X's and O's are and what they're going to be for this year it was more just in the context of last year was about putting out fires all the time and (laughs) yes and just and just how are we going to survive this game oh wait LeBron's going to be out for three and a half weeks okay well what are we gonna have to do for that AD's going to be out again. LeBron's going to be out on this part of the back-to-back. AD's not playing this back-to-back. Just AD and LeBron alone is one thing. Then Russ before the All-Star break was another thing. So it was always something. And that's where I think that Darwin was really coaching to to just survive in advance and get to that next game, get to that next series. Even in the postseason when the team was going well, now it wasn't it, it still was sort of an experiment in some ways of guys that hadn't had a lot of time on the court together. And that's where Darwin has had now several months since the Lakers lost to think about all of these things. And I'm, I can't wait to talk to him on, it'll be on Thursday. Uh, actually, I'm not, I don't know that for a fact. Uh, they haven't announced it, at some point if Robin and Darwin are going to talk before media day, but we're, we're thinking we'll likely hear from him sometime next week. And what has he been most focused on with this team? Does he want to impart a certain type of, offensive spacing that's a little bit different from last year does he want to play the same drop coverages does he want to instill more switching elements uh when ad isn't out there you know there are so many different things that he could do and that he's surely been speaking with his coaching staff about and by the way he's got some new coaches on that coaching staff uh, who might have some new ideas like including damari carroll uh for example lost a couple of of great coaches that'll go with vogel um shout out to jp and drew um down in phoenix and so that's that's what I mean, Pete. It's not questioning his X's and O's acumen. It's just actually not knowing uh, what it is that he wants to do now that he's got a little bit more continuity of roster. Yeah, which of those cards that Darius Darius was talking about is 
is Darvin going to play? And I want to shift our focus on that front to the defensive end, right? I feel like this team has a ton of offensive talent and I feel like it can be great. And there's obviously going to need to be a certain degree of attention to detail to get to that point. But I really think that there are more sensitivities on the defensive end, right? Particularly with going with Wood as the backup five, right? Like there are ways for that lineup to get scored on quite a bit, right? And those are the problems that he's going to have to solve. They are, there are always fires, Mike, to put out, uh, but the last years were five alarm ones. These are not that, but there are certainly ones to put out nonetheless. And that brings me to the defensive system, right? This is the, the Budenholzer system. We, uh, just got a synergy login from the Lakers. Been geeking out on that for the last 48 hours or so. And one of the things that I saw the other day was on pick and rolls, Mike, the top three defenses in the league against the pick and roll ball handler were Milwaukee, the Lakers, and the Grizzlies. All three from the same coaching tree, right? And so this defense is a great defense to get you through the season. In terms of like how teams game plan from one game to the next, there is a level of specificity that comes with like, who's guarding this guy? Does he like to go left? Does he like to go right? That certainly happens in the regular season from game to game. But once it gets to the playoff time, D, you have to kind of like shift to that particular team. And that's both in terms of personnel and scheme. So it's like in the Warriors series, that means AD coming out higher than you ever wanted him to during the regular season, right? And one of my concerns, and I feel like this is the way that Milwaukee has often gotten beaten in the playoffs, is they get so few reps doing something else that when they come to when it comes to playoff time and the team across from you dictates that you have to play a little differently than the way you would prefer. And I feel like we lost this way to Denver to a certain degree. Then you just don't have enough reps kind of doing it that way instead. And so that's one of my big questions about Darvin this year is to what degree does he mix up his defensive coverages? Or is it that we're going to run this, you know, run this baseline system and we're going to run it well, which they did. Um, and that's going to get us wins, right? Um, I'm, I'm super curious to see if he changes there. And I always think that if you assume a coach is going to change, then you're in dangerous waters. That's one of the things that yeah. I learned from the Bogles last season, right? And so, yeah, that, I, I'm curious your thoughts on that, man. The defense, I think, is going to say a lot about where the season goes. Yeah, I actually don't expect him to change very much. Yeah. The defense that he runs works. It not only works during the regular season, it also works during the playoffs. Like one of the things you need during the playoffs, though, is malleability. If you're expecting a team, and I'm not saying you're saying this, I'm just saying in general, if the expectation is that a defense can totally shape shift and go from like, right. oh, well, we are a full on drop coverage team that plays below the level of the screen to we're an all out switch team and we switch everything. You're going to be bad at that. Right. Regardless, like you are not going to effectively be able to manage that where you what you mm -hmm. need to be able to do is what the Lakers showed that they could do, which is, OK, we're going to play our standard drop. But now A.D. is like a step below the level of the ball. Now he's at the level of the ball. Now he's above the level or at the level of the screen. Now he's above the level of the screen. Now we've effectively switched on this singular possession and this is what that looks like be like behind. And you need to be able to have those little step ups 
in terms of like and, and the little alterations. And now we're going to run two at the ball in this case. And this is what the rotation looks behind. And those rotations are based off of similar rotations that you have when you're trying to when you actually have to bring help from the nail in order to do all of these things in a standard pick, pick and roll coverage. Right. None of these things should seem too foreign to them. And the good thing about having a veteran roster and a roster, Mike, that's that's where your some of your best players are LeBron James and Anthony Davis is that they have extensive history playing multiple styles of basketball and they have high defensive acumen and basketball IQ on that side of the floor to be able to pick up things conceptually and then be able to communicate those things to teammates on the floor to help them respond accordingly. And having that conduit between the head coach and the rest of the team, to me, that's super important. And that's where to, to sort of kick Pete's idea to you, Mike, it's not to me as much of like, oh, are they going to do something totally different? It's more, do you have these clubs in your bag? And I think that that's what Pete is talking about more. And right. I think the Lakers do have some of those, those clubs in their bag and that they're going to be able to deploy them. If it's at, is it going to be at a high enough level to slow down like a Denver but I like I don't know. Denver had a fantastic offense and they had one of the best offensive players we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years and acting as a hub within their flow. It's like that's a difficult dude to stop. And no one effectively did it. They won the championship. So I'm I'm less looking at like that as like, oh, well, if they have to do that, well, eventually maybe they will. But but I think that this is a, a good group for Darwin system. I think the presence of Anthony Davis means that most schemes are going to work at least okay when he's on the floor. So my my level of interest, and I think concern would be too strong of a word, but yeah, intrigue is just when AD's not on the floor, are they doing the same thing? And are teams really able to abuse that because of the lack of personnel, not just with on this roster, but on any roster that can sort of impact a, a game like Anthony Davis can? And it makes me think back, and now I want to pull up some clips. What did they do when AD wasn't on the floor last year, and how did they survive? And part of the reason was just LeBron being finding, channeling this scoring and spacing threat on the other end. But I don't particularly remember that team defensively um, having a ton of success. They just no. sort of outscored teams. But – Pete, I'm, you probably have a better recall on this. What did they do and how does that inform what is going to happen this year? Not just when AD's not on the court, but just knowing that the personnel behind him is not going to be as capable with the holding out a flicker yeah. of hope that, you know, maybe Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood can surprise, can surprise in certain ways. Let's take a break and we'll talk about it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So the thing that we did was we had went in Gabriel or, or Thomas Bryant basically trying to do the same thing that Anthony Davis is asked to do. And the basic thing – and this would even extend to like LeBron and Rui would be the hedge guy in pick and rolls. And the thing that they all have in common is they don't jump very high from a dead stop. Like LeBron is still a monster if he has a runway. But if you watch him just from like a standing position, he doesn't have that same lift because of course not, right? Rui does not particularly get off the ground very high in this respect. Wenyan is a combination of – Wenyan had that a little bit, but he's he was so thin that if you got a shoulder into him, you could kind of bump him off. And so – asking guys to do that, you're going to get scored on, right? Like in those deep type of drop coverages. And really, Mike, I think that's exactly the part of the game that Darvin has to zero in on and really do some of his best defensive coaching and be most intentional in that way. I agree with you that when AD is on the floor, Mike, that you have fewer concerns and that any defensive system is probably going to work. But I am excited about the fact that he can be deployed in two different places now. Because the one thing about Christian Wood who is that he will block some shots. And so that idea of we need a guy to stand back and put their arm up and jump and bother a guard who's driving into the paint for a floater or something like that. Christian Wood, with, with his other defensive flaws, certainly is at least capable of doing that better than any of the fives that we had last year, with the exception of Damian Jones, who came with some other issues, right? And uh, and so Wood will get block shots and will be able to do that. But it also has that impact, D, of when Wood and AD are on the floor together. Wood had some great quotes yesterday uh, talking about you know uh, him and, and AD together on the offensive end. I think on the defensive end, too, that was what Vogel loved about running the two-big lineup is like, the first thing that he mentioned was like, we have him on the weak side just destroying everything. I'm paraphrasing, but the ability to not just have AD at the five and have him at the four sometimes while also having a five that can at least impact the game with his length. I, I'm super excited to see what that looks like. Yeah, it's it's what Memphis did effectively with Jared Jackson Jr. And one of the reasons why he won defensive player of the year. It's also what the Bucks did a ton with Giannis. Yep. And, and so let's not act like this is going to be a foreign concept to Darvin Ham either. What, one of the things that I've been looking at, and this is maybe just a dumb and silly thing, but again, I've been working on these training camp previews for Lakers.com. And one of the interesting things is just the label that um, the team puts on like, player positions. It's so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just an interesting thing to me about like What's whether or not you... Well, AD is listed as a forward slash center. Mm-hmm. Christian Wood is listed as a forward. He's not listed as a center at all. Jackson Hayes is listed as a center slash forward, right? And so this isn't, so it's, it's, it's just an interesting little thing to me, right? Because it's like, which one comes first? Mm-hmm. Like, are you a center only? Are you a forward only? LeBron and, and Rui are both listed as forwards. By the way, the, right. all-time, the all-time example of this one that always 
interested slash annoyed me was the Tim Duncan thing. Yes. Yes. You know, where, yeah. oh, he's the Barkley still to this day is like, he's the greatest power forward of all time. And I'm, he's a center. You know, it was like but Matt then, sure. Bonner at the five, who was like a six nine yeah. dude who or, couldn't jump for three point shooter. And I, and I get it. Like in the, in nineteen ninety nine, when he played, you know, next to David Robinson, and sure. the league was totally different, and everybody just played like basically two real bigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was almost always at like the biggest guy on his team defensively. He always protected the rim. He never moved his feet on the perimeter that far out, and he posted up as an offensive player. So how is he? I, so that that always bugged me. It's just it, it, it's that's like the peak of the what does a position mean? And now do positions even matter? It's it's a it, it is a whole thing, Darius. No, it, it's well in the more and more positionless NBA, it matters and it doesn't. Right. But to me, the interesting thing, and I'm not saying the players are driving this at all, but it's the psychology around some some of this stuff. Right. And it's like, what do you call me? Mm-hmm. And what are the indicators of that and the implications, Pete? I mean, another kind of twist on this is like some guys don't like being called seven foot, like KG, Kevin Durant, right? Like they're six foot 12, basically, you know, that's how they yeah. want to be seen. I feel like being a seven footer comes with a certain amount of like you're expected to be play like a big man. And that those, that's my, my guess that those guys, you know, wanted to have that perimeter yeah. game. For normal people like us, it's more it's more like when somebody asks you how tall you are, do you include the half inch or do you, do you round <laughs> yes. up? You know, because yeah. everybody is. People are very unlikely to be exactly, you know, five foot ten or five foot eleven. But what what do you what do you classify your and in the whole obsession with seeming people are usually going to round up for some uh, reason yes. because we as a species are just impressed more, I guess, with with additional size. Uh-huh. I don't know. Any women listeners of the LFR oh, pod right, right now are probably go. nodding their head vigorously around men lying about their height. Um, anyways. <laughs> The idea, though, of like what position these these guys play and is Christian Wood actually a forward to Darvin Ham? And if he is a forward to Darvin Ham, that could open up a ton more positional lineups that make sense on paper that are the types of lineups that we were just pining for last season. Yep. Right. Because no one in their no one in their right mind was ever going to call Thomas Bryan a forward. Or even when you Gabriel a forward based off of what they did on the basketball court. Even we talked about this a little bit with Jackson Hayes too, Pete, that he got thrust into lineups last season where he's playing next to Jonas Valanciunas. And oh, so he was a guess what? A ton of times. You're yep. not, you're actually not a setter in that mm-hmm. lineup because Valanciunas is even more limited defensively yep. and, and what the asks are. It's just very interesting to me when we talk about defense and two bigs and the idea of what kind of player you have on the weak side as a potential tag man and rim protector. And one of the reasons why both Rui and LeBron could be effective in lineups where they were the two quote unquote bigs is that they understood what their rotations were and they were athletic enough that when they had to come and challenge shots at the basket, particularly against guards, they could do it. That's a whole other story though, if it's Anthony Davis who is lurking on the weak side or to Mike's point in lineups where AD is not playing, could we see lineups with Wood and Hayes together? I mean, the spacing would be fine, right? That That's what Wood provides in all of this is that you can have two big lineups and still that four out spacing and have another guy on the floor that doesn't do that at all. And Hacks, and, and and Hayes actually does a little bit pick and pop. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the r- real benefits of Wood. 
Yeah, and so this goes back to questions about Darwin, which is what we were talking about before. And if he's looking for solutions to potential problems on offense, Wood is a great through oh, yeah. line for a roster like this. But if he actually does go back to thinking like, I want to try to solve problems defensively, Mike, um, and I do want to try to um, solve problems with size, there is a fair amount of that on this roster in comparison to last year's roster. And, and, and you talked about the potential to hear from, from Darvin is as early as next week in, in advance of media day. And that is a question that I'm interested to sort of hear him speak to is, is what is his interest in playing more quote unquote, two big lineups, AD with Hayes, AD with wood, Hayes with wood because those are those are the types of 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 personnel groupings where you could potentially hang better defensively at least in terms of rim protection and on the defensive class I think that's covered quite well so I want to just add in one more element to this is that the, just how often the Lakers can play bigger in the backcourt as well uh, and mm-hmm. that was and you, you guys hinted at this earlier in the podcast, but I know that was a frequent sore spot in the text thread throughout games of like, just look at how small this team is right now. Man. You know, look at how many small guys are, are out there. And, and speaking to my earlier thing about rounding up for hype, the place that it, that it does matter is in the NBA, <laughs> in the National <laughs> yes. Basketball Association, when the rim is 10 feet tall, like that is when the height and the size and the length um, really does matter. And, and that, that is the, the encouraging part of this year is will Max Christie be given those early kind of backup shooting guard minutes and then you're you're just a little bigger at that spot. And can Cam Reddish, as I texted Darius when he sent me the draft of his article that he mentioned on Lakers.com, how are they going to look at Cam Reddish? They're going to look at him more like a, a, a backup two, just given that I, Torian mm-hmm. Prince probably is the backup three. And, and so then you're big at that spot too. And, and how... When I start asking Torian Prince repeatedly about rebounding, um, does that impact him to become a better rebounder <laughs> this year? And then I get to take credit uh, for, for that type of thing. But it's just a part of the like when the roster is more in line with the philosophy and with the structure, then everything becomes a little bit easier. And the yeah. best example for this is a team we were talking about last night, Pete, uh, in the text thread in Miami, where Spo right now they've got a bunch of empty. Uh, I shouldn't say a bunch, but like three empty roster spots. Clearly, they're waiting to see if something happens. And mm-hmm. but you just sort of know he's he's got an idea of of the players that he's going to plug in. And that isn't to say that you can't switch things up within that structure. But that to me is the real sweet spot. Um, and. It can also, though, if you think about what you guys were talking about, Steve Kerr with Team USA, it can be a point of potential failure if it's too much about the system. So it's yes. it's not easy, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make about what Darvin Ham has to do. But this roster should be easier than last. And and that oh, is yeah. a win um, right there. Now, how much you can perfect it within that structure and how much of the size helps and uh, is important. But at least you're starting in a much better spot.
can't wait to see what Darwin does. I'm, I'm really excited to see, um, you know, the directions that he goes in. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. The next pod is going to be a mailbag. So if you hear this and, uh, you know, replied at LFR pod on Twitter um, with any questions that you have, we'll put out some uh, some tweets as well to solicit questions. And if we get enough of them, we'll do more than one mailbag. Mike, I think we're going to, uh, you know, get caught up and we're yeah. only about two weeks away, my man. No, please, I, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's a great time to ask about anything with the team. Uh, and, you know, that certainly could be non-basketball as well. If you want to just sure. know, like, what does Pete do on the weekend? Um, oh, where Lord. did Darius take his trips to that? <laughs> oh, any of these kind of things. I, I have I have plenty of energy, too, for any questions specifically about Pete. Um, now he's going to get now he's going to not want those kind of questions to come in and they're going to come in. So he's looking at shaking his head. But yes, I, I really am genuinely curious what people think uh, and what they're wondering about this Lakers season. And I think there's some real reason for excitement. So uh, we'll look forward to addressing some of those. Mike, one last thing. Be careful about pestering Torian Prince about rebounding questions. Go back <laughs> and right. go That's back right. and look at how he <laughs> shut down a reporter when he was at Baylor when they lost in uh, the NCAA tournament. Oh, I'm, I'm you remember that clip? Yeah. No, tell me. Oh, you I mean, I will look it clip, up Mike. now. Is oh, it better if great. I just look it up? Yeah, okay. yeah. Watch it. There's a great clip where yeah, it's in the tournament. They lost, and somebody a reporter asks like, "How did you get out rebounded?" And it's very. Popovichian, I, I might even say. Torian Prince describes how Baylor was out rebounded by. Yes, that's the clip. That's, that's the one. All right, <laughs> that's we'll it. wrap up that's here. It. <laughs> Send in your uh, your questions. <laughs> Everybody, have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Rebound is lying, three seconds left. That next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.